you all. If you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to continue in the book of James, talking today about taming the tongue, what, what James says about what we say. We're James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So, like I said, we're looking today at what James says about what we say. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Maybe you haven't. But I think talking is one of the strangest things that we do, especially when you look at kind of how it works. So when we want to say something to someone, when I'm talking right now, air is coming out of me. I contract my vocal cords. They vibrate, make a noise. It travels through the air, hits your eardrums, makes them vibrate, and you understand what I'm saying. It's kind of crazy to think about all that goes into places. It's, it's wonderful to think about how God has designed us so specifically, so uniquely, so well-tuned that when I talk, you understand what I'm saying. At least, hopefully, you do. And that causes all sorts of problems, doesn't it? Miscommunication, where what goes from inside my head to goes inside your head isn't quite what I intended. The average person says about 7,000 words in a day. And that's when we say average. Um, you know, maybe you say more, maybe you say less. But on average, we say 7,000 words. That's a lot. A lot of words. If you look at here, that's a lot of words that we speak. We're going to see today what James says about what we say, the content of those words. So James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also able to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of, mouths of horses so they will obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire set to blaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire, the tongue a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth my brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for... This time that we have to come together, we thank you for this time that we have to come and to look at your word, to see what it says for our lives, to see how we can apply it for our lives. And God, I pray that you'll be with us today, that you'll be with us, you'll help us to see what the book of James says and to apply it to our life. That we will see what you call us to do, who you call us to be, how you call us to live, how you call us to speak. 
that we will evaluate our lives and where we need to repent, we will repent. Where we need to continue, we will continue, Lord, and that we will be faithful in how we speak to others, how we speak about others. And it will be consistent with our praise and honoring of you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The first thing that we need to see when we look at this first verse here is that our speech is influential. Our speech is influential. The first verse says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. This is a reality that we see in the church is that we are not all called to serve in all areas of the church. Very grateful that Chuck is with us. I'm very grateful that I'm not leading you in song because you would not come back again. We're all called to serve in different areas of the church, but based upon on our, our giftings and our callings. And he says that not many should be teachers. There are exclusivity to the roles within the body. There are some who are called to serve in a certain way, some who are set apart to teach, some who are set apart to serve as deacons. We should serve God for where God has equipped us and called us. Why? Specifically, with teachers, says that we are judged at a higher standard. Now, what does this mean? We are judged at a higher standard. Our salvation comes from Christ alone. We, we know about this. We know very clearly that salvation is, is accomplished because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his resurrection. But we will be judged on how we live as Christians. This is not a judgment that is conditional upon your salvation. But it's a judgment that will evaluate our work. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay a foundation than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. This is the salvation that we have. The foundation of the gospel of Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation, talking about teaching here, with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through though as through fire. So the foundation that is laid in the life of the Christian, the foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now from that, this is the starting point, right? The foundation is the starting point of the house. You have to have a solid foundation. And we have a solid foundation, Jesus Christ. But what we build on it is important. This is why it says not many should become teachers. Because if you endeavor to build upon this foundation and you build with bad tools, with bad materials, with bad execution, the day will reveal it. And his work will be burned up. And you'll be saved as though by fire. This is not talking about losing your salvation because you're a bad teacher. But it's dangerous if people seek to teach and don't know how to teach, how to instruct. If a teacher causes people to stumble by what they say or what they do, they will face judgment for Luke 17.1 says, And he said to his disciples, Temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. We are accountable for what we say. One of the biggest difficulties about being a teacher is that we need to be accurate in what we say. We need to teach sound doctrine because people are learning from teachers. 
Do you know how influential it is? It's very sobering to think about the effect that teachers have on those who listen. I still remember lessons that I was taught in school as a small child. Oh, no doubt you do too, right? You remember maybe sitting in a classroom learning lessons, learning thoughts. That's why we take very seriously who teaches our children, who instructs our children, because they will be formed by those things. You need to be very careful about what you allow to form your children. Be very careful who and what you allow to form yourself, to instruct you, to inform the way you think, to inform the way you learn. If you likely had moments of learning in church or school where you had a paradigm shift, something in an instant or over a long period of time changed the entire way you see the world. Our salvation is one of those moments where everything changes. We've been saved and now the world is based not on how what we want, but on how we serve and follow God. But there's things that you learn, things that you do. It's like learning to read. A whole new world is unlocked. All of these words on a page are now able to be learned. And, and we have to be very careful about what we allow to shift our paradigm. We have to be very careful when we teach things to others. Because the problem lies when those shifts, those ways of thinking, are founded upon faulty information. You know, we live in a time of misinformation or fake news or fact-checking where everyone is suspicious of what they hear or they run with one thing they hear and deny other things. There's conflicting information everywhere. But what do we want to have? The truth. We want to have what is right. False teachings come from somewhere. And there are strict warnings in Scripture against being a false teacher. Intentional or not getting theology and doctrine wrong can have major consequences. We see this in, in, in the church in Galatia. With the Galatians, they had a problem with false teaching. Galatians 1, 6-8. I'm amazed that you were so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. Are the voices you are listening to grounded in the gospel? Are the teachers you listen to grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they committed to it? Do they have sound doctrine, sound teaching? Who you listen to will affect the way that you think. And I want to encourage you, I try to be faithful, I try to teach what God says, what God's word says, not to add my thoughts to it, but to explain it as best I can understand, guided by the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says. But don't take me at my word. If you hear something and it sounds wrong, go to Scripture. If you hear a teacher in your Sunday school class and they say something that sounds wrong, go to Scripture. If you turn on the TV, the internet, wherever you might hear someone teaching the Bible, be very careful not to let them inform the way that you think. I have seen a church hear a sermon, and, and people immediately change the way they think about things. We see this on, on more extreme places all the time where people who, are, who fall into a cult, and they fall into following a teacher who's teaching things that we from the outside see as, these are crazy teachings. But they fall into and follow who a false teacher on much more subtle ways, people can inaccurately teach the Bible. They can inaccurately teach things that may sound sweeter. We've talked about all sorts of false teachings, prosperity gospels, 
God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have the best in this life. And they twist and they distort. They're not going to rob you of your salvation. No person can do that. But we need to be very wary of who we listen to, who we allow to inform the way we think about following God. And if we seek to follow Christ, and if we seek to teach, we need to be very careful to be devoted to teaching the truth of who God says he is. We need to be aware of people's deficiencies as teachers. Sometimes you might like to listen to a person, but you may be aware that they've got something wrong. There's some things you know that aren't biblical about what they teach. Remember those things constantly, where those things will begin to inform the way that you think. So this is how we start. He introduces this idea of taming the tongue, of how what we say matters, by saying not many should be teachers, because what you say is so important, and if anyone doesn't stumble on what they say, they're perfect. They can do everything right, because if you can say everything perfectly, not make any mistakes in how you talk, you are perfect. But then he goes on to be more general, and to talk about the great impact that our speech has. Our speech, the things we say, has great impact. James 3, 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also able to control the whole body. James says that the hardest thing we do is controlling what we say. The tongue is used explicitly as a reference to the things that we say in, in this book. We've got to remember that. He's saying the tongue all throughout this, but it's what we say. And even though it's small, it has a great impact on what we do on our life and on the people around us. He, he compares it to like a bit with a horse. Think about that. A small piece of metal put in the mouth of a horse with reins can direct that horse anywhere. Have you ever tried to pull a horse somewhere? I did one time. Uh, we were in Utah on the road trip. We went on and we got to visit a friend that was out there and they had some horses. And they had a very large horse. said, hey, hold on to this horse for me. I said, well, what am I going to do to this horse? And so I hold on. It starts to go the other direction. It starts to turn and to walk away. And I'm like, come back here. And I like to think that I'm fairly strong, but I had no, no hope, no hope of pulling this horse anywhere. But you put a bit in its mouth. You can direct it. You can guide it. Think about, he said to think about a rudder with a ship. Think about cruise ships. You ever seen how, they're like football fields, long, cruise ships. You know what steers those? Rudders. That if we were to stand by the rudder, it's quite large, but in comparison to the ship, extremely small. It guides and directs this massive ship. And a small fire sets the forest ablaze. I want to add something to this, because I think there's some things that we think about that we have experience with in, in this life that James, that James wasn't exposed to. One very common example that was very personal to me was when you play football, if you grab someone by their face mask, no matter how big and strong they are, you can direct that person anywhere you want them to be because they are completely beholden, kind of like the horse with the bit in his mouth. James goes, James goes on further to say, to point out the problem, uh, this problem by saying that animals have been tamed, but not the tongue. James says that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Restless evil filled with deadly poison. And I think an example from today that we can maybe think about a little bit more clearly, it is almost as though the, the tongue, what we say, is like a gun. What we say is like a gun. It's very dangerous, deadly potential. And the potential to be used for good, but to stop people from happening. We've all had times in our life where someone said the right thing at the right time and changed the course of our day. 
It also has the potential to be used for evil, to take life. We know, we all know when, one, when someone has said something that's ruined our day. There's so much power in what we say. And from this analogy, I want us to learn a little bit. If you've ever been around guns at all, if you have any understanding of how to be safe with guns, is that they are supposed to be treated with proper care and safety. And the people that use them, they, they're very careful with them. There are phrases that you teach people the first time they ever hold one, that to never point it at someone, right? To treat every gun as those loaded. Don't point a gun at anything you're not willing to destroy. These are guidelines that help prevent someone from a terrible accident. We should treat our words the same way that people treat things like a poison or a, a, a deadly substance or a gun. We must understand the destructive power that our words carry. He calls the word, he, he calls the tongue a, a fire from hell. It's dangerous. It carries a lot of power. We must understand what our words are capable of. Because if we don't, we may direct them and use them in a way that cause irreparable harm. We don't know what we're dealing with. We can cause major damage. We have to see that what we say makes a difference. As I said before, we've all had people that have said things to us that have brightened our day. Maybe someone complimented you on your outfit or gave you a compliment that made you smile. Someone gave you the advice that you needed at the right time. Someone encouraged you when you were feeling down. Someone told you news that brought you great joy. We've all also had people that have said things that have ruined our day. Someone said something that hurts your feelings. Someone lied to you. Someone spread rumors about you. Someone shared something that you told them in confidence. Someone told you something that broke your heart. We need to treat our words as powerful as they, as they are. And so with this, we come to what we should use our words for. What should our words be used for? Our speech should be used to honor God. James 3, 9 says this, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. James 3, With, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in His likeness. James 3, 10 through 12, Blessing and cursing coming out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a salt water spring yield fresh water. We've all seen these things, haven't we? Perhaps we've been guilty of them. The summer that I graduated from high school, I got to finally spend some time, because uh, all my sports were done, that's what I usually did in the summer, I got to get a job, get some, make some money. The best job at that time that I could see that was easily accessible was to become an umpire. Right? So I played baseball throughout high school. I could go and I'm hired Little League baseball games, and they would pay you based on the game. The game would last an hour and a half and make 50 or $60. That's pretty good money for an 18-year-old just doing a summer job. The problem that I didn't understand, I loved baseball. I loved the kids. I did not like the parents. <laughs> there is not a more vicious place to be than behind home plate. In a little league baseball game. And I had my fair share of people that would argue with me, fight with me, fuss with me. 
The problem being, I knew very well that many of these people went to churches. Many of these people were deacons in churches, were pastors in churches. <laughs> what they said didn't sound like it sometimes. In particular, I remember one person coming in, this is a first grader aged softball game. Um, and they came up to me and were arguing with me, and I'm confident that I was right. But they were telling me I was wrong, and I was trying to explain it to them, and before they walked away, they used some very choice words with about what they thought about my call. And I kind of just let it go. I didn't say it extremely loudly, but it, it caught me years later when I realized uh, that the person came to visit our church, and I, and I was like, why do I, where do I know this guy? And then it hit me where I knew this guy. Because he was the one that had given me some very choice words. This is what we see, right? This is what he's saying. We, we praise God. We, here we are today. We're praising God. We're, we're shouting to the Lord. We're praising Him. Now this week, how are we going to talk to you and about Him? Is it going to reflect the praise that you sang on Sunday morning? Or is it going to be something that if someone saw you out in public and they saw you in a moment, maybe you were having a bad moment, we all have those. When they came to church to visit, they're like, oh, that person's here. That's how dangerous the tongue is. How dangerous our speech is. Because it's like, and we've heard, you've all heard this now, it's like toothpaste. Once the words come out, you can't put them back in. So what does it mean that we should, how, we, how should we speak as Christians? We should bless the Lord and seek to control our tongue. Colossians 3.8, but now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Colossians 4, 6. Let's, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that, no one, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So we shouldn't have blessing and cursing. We should praise God. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Bitterness sweet should not come from the same source. I want to give you guys a little lesson of sorts here, a little sidebar lesson. Um, when I first got into youth ministry, I was pretty young. I like to think that I was pretty um, with all of the language that young people use. And I very quickly realized that even though I was only five or six years older than some of the high schoolers, that I didn't know what they were saying. Um, and I know that you probably experienced that on, on a fairly regular basis. You'll hear a word, you know what it means. Uh, there's a term that people have used. I don't know if it may even not be used anymore. So they'll call people salty. Well, if you're just salty, you're hurting, I say that. But what that means is you're bitter. You're just bitter. Right? If you put too much salt on something, salt's really good. It makes things taste better. If you put too much, it's bitter. You don't like it. So that's a little lesson for you. We should not be bitter, but we should be seasoned with salt. What we say should be gracious. So how should we speak? We should bless our Lord and honor Him with our speech. The purpose we have as Christians is to live our lives to glorify and to honor God. And that includes what we say, how we interact with others. Our speech should reflect that our, glory, our purpose is to glorify and follow God in all we do. We should sing Him songs of praise. When we come here, we should sing. We should be excited. Because what we say, it's not just the words you say, it's how you say it, right? We all know that, right? Like if someone is excited, you're going to see the excitement on them, not just, yeah, not very excited, is it? It's not just the words you say, it's how you say things. Sing him songs of praise. Celebrate 
what God has done. We should encourage one another. How much does it cost you when you come, uh, when you're around your friends, to, t to tell them that you did a great job? I, I just really appreciate how willing you are to step up and to serve. I appreciate what you do. How much does that cost us? Nothing. So we should encourage one another. Be people that are constantly building people up, not tearing them down. We should exhort and rebuke one another with gentleness. It is not loving for Christian brothers and sisters to see one another going down a wayward path and to say nothing. We should say what needs to be said. We should speak the truth in love with gentleness, showing first and foremost that our concern is for them. We're not trying to control them. We're not trying to, to dictate their life, but we know that they want to follow God, that they need to make some corrections, and also being willing to receive exhortation and rebuke. We should celebrate with one another, to be excited for one another, genuinely care for one another. We should speak the truth. We should speak the truth to one another. And so because of this, like Colossians said, we should rid ourselves of all speech that's not glorifying to God. We should not speak to and about one another with malicious intent. I think this is primarily what this passage is most concerned about. Talking about how a, a small fire starts a forest ablaze, and we'll get to that in a few moments. We shouldn't speak to one another with malicious intent. We should not slander one another. Whether it's true or not, we shouldn't be going around talking about other people and, and the, the things that they have or have not done. We shouldn't be gossiping about one another. We need to be very aware and check our hearts about what is and is not gossip. Asking our Christian brothers and sisters to come together and pray for something is not gossip, unless we intend for it to be. Sharing a prayer request just because you want people to know what you know or you want to spread the information can be gossip. Genuinely calling one another to prayer is not. So we've got to be very careful. What is the nature of what we're talking about? Is it going to harm people? Is it going to be beneficial? We should not gossip. We shouldn't lie. We should speak the truth to one another. We should remove all filthy language from our mouths. I remember growing up, this was always a topic of conversation, especially once you hit middle school. Everybody starts to learn new words, and they're like, well, the Bible doesn't say you can't cuss. And, and to be fair, in this one, it says that you, you praise God and you curse people. I don't think it's directly talking about curse words, but here's what we have to understand. We have to get to there are no list of words you shall not say. It says put away filthy language. If there's a word and you know it has a certain meaning, should you say it? If there's a sentence you put together that has no words that are harmful or viewed as explicit, but the meaning is explicit, should you say it? There's a lot of words you can hear on the radio, a lot of songs you can hear on the radio that are very explicit. They have no foul language, no cuss words in them, but the message is filthy. As Christians, we should remove all filthy language from our mouths. That, that, that includes anything that the word by itself may be filthy, even if you're not using it in that way. And it also means that we should remove anything from our mouth that maybe doesn't have a, a cultural connotation around it, but the content of the message is filthy. It's supposed to be pure, seek to be righteous and blameless. We should have no filthy language come from our mouths. The reason that this is important, that we see what we should avoid and we see what we should do, is because our speech reveals the condition of our hearts. 
Luke 6.45 says this, A good person produces good out of good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. If a person is constantly tearing others down, constantly filled with bitterness and envy and anger in what they say, what does that reveal of the condition of their heart? If a person is joyful, always lifting others up, what does that say about the condition of their heart? In the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said this is what defiles a person. Matthew 15, 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. We should be concerned with the things we say. We should be concerned with the condition of our heart. Because the condition of our heart will be reflected in the way that we speak. If your speech is constantly negative, speaking ill to and about others, coarse, filled with impurity, filled with lies, gossiping about others, this should be concerning. This should concern you with the condition of your heart. This does not reflect the heart of a person that is walking with God. Now let me say this, it doesn't mean that you may not be saved, maybe you are, but if you are living that way, you're speaking that way, you need to repent and return to following God. It doesn't reflect the heart of a person walking with God, that's engaged in that relationship. Understand, this is our speech all of the time. You can be perceived as a nice person and still say destructive things. This includes what you whisper to others. This is what you say in the privacy of your home. This is what you, you say that people may never find out about. But God knows. God knows your heart. You're causing damage to the person whether they find out about it or not. There was a, an individual years ago that, that I met, and I was kind of coming into a new place, and I was meeting new people, and there was a person there that I knew, knew better, and they were talking to me. And they shared their very low opinion of this person with me. That person never found out about that. Never heard what that person said. Do you know what that did? It changed the way that I viewed this individual they were talking about. It informed all of my interactions with this person. It wasn't until years later when I actually got to know that person for myself that I realized that wasn't true. At least not entirely true. What you say, even if they don't find out about it, it, it matters. What you say about people when you gossip, when you slander, when you say things? I want, I want you to think of this analogy. Are you a person that sets fires or are you a person that puts them out? When we speak, we can set a fire when we say things about people. When we, we spread lies, we spread information, even if it is true, even if we believe in our heart that it's true, be setting a fire. Or are you a person that puts them out? And when you come to a place where there's already a fire, you pour gasoline on it, you pour water. Because with what we say, if you walk into a room and two people are gossiping, and you're like, oh yeah, well, let me tell you what I heard. Gasoline. The fire spreads, grows larger. You pour water. Do you speak as a person that's honoring God with how you speak about others? And the hard reality is that we are all guilty of these things. So James says, no person can tame the tongue. All animals have been tamed, but no one has tamed the tongue. There have been times in your life, and if you don't agree with me, I do not believe you, where you've said something immediately after you said this, I should not have said that. That was not the right thing for me to say. 
There's times where you've said things and you realize, man, that wasn't the right thing for me to say. How can we do better? How can we seek to tame our tongue? How can we seek to honor God with what we say? It's very simple. It's very hard. This is the theme. We talk about that a lot this year. Following God is very simple, but it is very difficult. We have to know God more. Because out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. So if we want our heart to be in the right condition and our speech to reflect that, we have to seek to know God more, to allow Him to do the work on our hearts to conform us to His likeness. And I want you to understand very clearly, this is more than having a higher standard or a higher threshold for when we speak bad. Because sometimes we'll, we'll see that and we'll feel it's an improvement. Like if, we're not, if you're not a very patient person, if you can move the bar of when you lash out, you feel like you've done something. But all you've done is you just learned to bottle it up a little better. Right? And normally when someone starts to aggravate you, you get really coarse really quickly, but then you learn to just kind of hold it in a little better. That's not changing your heart. That's not changing the way that you're communicating. Or only gossiping to people we really trust or, or about people we really dislike. Narrowing in how much you gossip is not the, the issue. We're eliminating. We're eliminating these things from the way that we speak. This is like learning to be a functioning alcoholic. You know, we know how alcoholism can destroy lives. There's people that can't function, they can't do anything. It's not any better to be an alcoholic who's able to go to work go home before you start drinking. That's how it is with our speech. If we learn to control it better, it's not what God calls us to do. He doesn't say, hey, get your sin under control. Reign it in. No. Eliminate it. Be righteous. Be holy because I am holy. Speak as people who are holy. So we do this because when we know God more, when we are, our desire is for God, these things that we care about, the way that we speak, falls away. It's not that we are, are changing the way that we act. We're changing what we want. And if what you want changes, you're able to speak differently. And when we know God more, our desires will begin to change, including how we desire to speak. Blessing and cursing cannot come from the same mouth. Fresh and salt water cannot come from the same source. If we find ourselves with too much negative speech in our life, the answer is to praise God more. If you are including praising God more often in your life, you're including seeking Him and praising Him, it's going to be awfully hard to, in the next sentence, curse somebody. Because from the same mouth, those two things should not happen. The more we fill our lives with God, the less room there is for anything else in our, in our lives. So this morning, as we come to this time where I'm inviting you, that's what we told this invitation, God is inviting all of us to reflect on our lives, to examine our hearts, to examine the way that we live. And to see, does it line up with who God calls me to be? And if the answer is no, even if it's partially no, it's like, yeah, I can think about five things I said this week. It's a lot better than the week before when I had ten things. Still, we must seek God. Seek Him, to know Him more, to have Him to help change our hearts, to follow Him with our life. So during this time, if you have things in your office, where you're at, at the altar, down front, I'll be here for prayer. This is an opportunity for you to repent and to follow God, to seek to honor Him with what you said. Or maybe this morning you're here and you don't know Him. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Because here's the bad news. If you've said things... 
If you've sinned in the way that you've spoken, you're guilty. And you're in need of a Savior. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He took our punishment because He loved you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be made right with God. There's not a better day than today to repent, to turn from your sin, and to believe in what Jesus has done for you. I'll be down front to speak with you if you have that desire. Let's stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that during this time you would work on each of our hearts. You would show us the ways that we need to honor you more, the ways that we need to glorify you. God, I pray that we would hold nothing back, but seek to be people who honor you in all things, the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we live our lives. Lord, help us to be in total submission to you. Father, if there's anyone who does not know you today, I pray that today would be the day they would lay themselves down, lay their pride aside, and believe in what you have done for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.